Today we are talking about a man named John Elliot, a preacher who showed what it meant to be like Jesus in a real way. This is a story you don't want to miss. John Elliot was born and raised in Hertfordshire, England in the early 1600s. He loved school and his parents raised him to love Jesus and the Bible. He went to Jesus College and then got a job at a private school in Little Baddow, Essex. John became part of the Puritan movement. He taught the Puritan teachings in the school and felt God calling him to maybe preach. However, he had no idea the plan that God had for him. It would go far more than preaching. By this time, the conflict between the Anglicans and the Puritans was reaching a boiling point and was becoming political as the throne and parliament were only a few years away from breaking out into a full war. John was working at the school as an assistant to a man named Thomas Hooker. As Puritans were being attacked, it became clear that Thomas's life was in danger. He was forced to leave the school and his home and move to the Netherlands, where they believed in tolerance, and teachers especially were much more free. John didn't want to remain in England after Thomas left. He began to think there was no hope for England, but he also didn't want to go to the Netherlands. He decided he would join a group on a ship and head on the adventure of a lifetime. He would move to the Americas and be part of the Massachusetts colony. John found a captain of the ship that was planning a trip to Massachusetts and convinced him to let him travel as the chaplain of the ship. On November the 3rd, 1631, the Lion ship landed on the shores of Massachusetts and John walked onto the land that he would call home. A young man looking for a place to find freedom to worship and teach in freedom. He had no idea that war, death, and prison lay in his future, but not at the start. At the start of his time in Massachusetts, the adventure and freedom was everything he had imagined. He became a teaching elder at the First Church in Roxbury, and soon he met a young lady named Hannah Humphrey. Imagine with me you're standing outside a church on a beautiful September day. The fall colors are starting and are beautiful. It's the first time you've seen a fall in the new land, and you're already in awe of the beauty of it. You walk in the door of the first church in Roxbury and find a seat with some friends. It's exciting. This is the first marriage in the new land, and after ten months of working hard, it's wonderful to have a celebration. And to make it even more wonderful, it's one of the pastors who is getting married. The marriage of John and Hannah was the first marriage. In fact, in the records of Roxbury, the marriage of John and Hannah is listed. The very first marriage. It was a wonderful day for everyone. John and Hannah would end up having five sons and one daughter during their years of marriage. In our episode called A Few Puritans You Should Know About, we talked about a woman named Anne Hutchinson. Here's a little reminder of her story. Anne Hutchinson landed around the same time as John Wilthrow's wife landed. Anna was a wife and mother. She had over 15 children. Anna was a midwife and set up her practice. She was really popular. Anna was very smart and well-educated. 
She was also not afraid to give her opinion on things, even biblical things. Anna would talk to her patients about the Bible and give her opinion on the sermons from the Sunday's church service. Soon, people were coming to Anna to hear her talk about the Bible. Her Bible study could sometimes have over a hundred people just in her home. Anna believed that the Puritan church had added so many rules that they had become legalistic. They had, in her opinion, become grace plus works, and she believed in free grace. Anna was a strong Calvinist, and believed that the elect were saved no matter what they did. She also started to teach that her spiritual gifting was the ability to know who were the elect and who were not. That final teaching was a nail in her coffin. Anna was a female, and the Bible said she should not be preaching. Her Bible studies were getting to be more preaching than simply people talking about the Bible. She was not ordained to preach, and she had no authority to be preaching. And she was teaching what many believed to be heresy, mostly her teachings on legalism, free grace, and that she knew who the elect were. John Wilthrow took her to court. She stood her ground and presented her beliefs in a fair and reasonable way, and many people were persuaded by her. But the court found her guilty and she was forced to leave. So her and her family and over 60 of her followers left and moved to Rhode Island. John Elliot was part of the trial, and he stood against Anne. This is a little bit of a conflicting idea. John had moved here looking for a place to have religious freedom, and he participated in a trial of someone because of how she worshipped or what she believed. While John was preaching, he became interested in natives living around them. The Algonquin people got along really well with the Puritans. The Puritans purchased land from the Algonquins and treated them with honesty and respect. John began to spend more time with the Algonquin and learned their language, Wapanakalak. As he became friends with the men from the tribe, he realized why God had sent him here. He had been brought here to bring the good news of Jesus to the Algonquin people. John Elliot became good friends with a man named John Sessamon, an Algonquin who helped him learn the language. The two men began working on a huge project. They began to translate the entire Bible into the Wapanakalak language. The two men worked day and night for years. And the Wapanakalak Bible was the first Bible printed in America. During this time, John was traveling and meeting with Algonquin people and sharing the story of Jesus. The Algonquin people were turning to Jesus. It was an amazing time to see God working. John set up what he called praying villages. It was a 70-mile circle that he traveled, preaching and setting up prayer villages. The villages were set up the way the Puritan villages were set up. John made sure that they had schools, churches, and ways to produce goods and sell them. Areas were built where they could trade and sell goods to the colonies all around them. During this time, the Algonquin people lived at peace with the Puritans. But all that changed really quickly. The French and the English went to war. The leader of the French army, Samuel de Chaplain, saw the Algonquin people as perfect allies. By this point, they had become really good traders. The Algonquin's main enemy was the Iroquois people. The Iroquois people were allies with the English, so it was easy for Samuel de Champlain 
to convince the Algonquin to join them in the fight against the English. Although the Algonquin had no reason to go to war against the English, they saw the French as allies to help them fight the Iroquois. The English were angry that they had taken the side of the French, and they sent soldiers to invade the praying villages that John had set up. They destroyed the villages and took the people captives and locked them in prison ships. They also found all the Wabanakuk Bibles that they could find and destroyed them. When John heard that the villages were being destroyed, Bibles burned, and the people locked up in prison ships, he was angry. He tried to meet with the leaders of the English armies and persuade them to stop, but they had no intentions of listening to a Puritan preacher. They were at war. John didn't know what to do. He was watching injustice unfold in front of his eyes. But what could he do? Was it enough to just say that he opposed it? Could he just stand up, preach against what was happening? Or was there something else that God wanted him to do? Throughout all of church history, church leaders have had to ask this question. What do you do when those in charge are doing evil? Do you follow authority or do you disobey authority? John made a choice. He gathered his family together, explained to them what he was going to do, told them that he loved them, kissed his wife, and hoped he would see his family again. He then got on his horse and left. But this time, he would not be traveling the 80 miles he had traveled so many times before, but he would be traveling to see the Algonquin people. He rode to the place where the ship was docked. He then walked up to the captain of the ship and told him he wanted to board the ship. The captain said he could not allow that to happen. This was a prison ship. John told him he wanted to be put into the prison with the Algonquin people. The captain didn't know what to do. He had never had someone ask him to be put in prison. But he agreed, and John was put into the prison with the Algonquin people. John was following Jesus in a real way. Jesus showed his love for us by coming here to earth to live with us, to feel our pain, to feel tiredness, hunger, and betrayal. He lived with us to show us his love and then took the punishment we deserved on the cross. John showed his love for the Algonquin people by moving onto the prison ship with them. He felt their pain, their tiredness, their hunger, and their betrayal. He lived with them. He showed them he truly loved them. During the time on the ship, more people came to Christ. But also, many people died from sickness and disease spread on the ship. Eventually, the war ended, and the prisoners were set free. The Algonquin and eight French generals met with a British man named Sir William Johnson, and agreed to sign a treaty that said they would remain neutral in any future wars between the English and the French. But once the war had ended, both the Algonquin and the Iroquois tribes had been hurt beyond repair. Neither tribe would be the same. John Eliot returned to his family and continued to preach. He was called the Apostle to the Algonquin. His children grew, and his first son, John Eliot Jr., became a preacher of the First Church of Christ in Newtown. Their other son, Joseph Elliot, became a pastor in Connecticut. 
His son and John's grandson was named Jared Elliott. He was also a pastor and a renowned writer. Their daughter married a man named Habakkuk Glover. John's sister, who had moved to live near him, married a man named Edward Payson, and they became known as the Payson family, who would become very influential in American history. In 1689, John donated 75 acres of his land to the Elliott School. This school accepted black and Native Americans with no prejudice. All students who wanted to learn could study and learn together at this school. To have a school with this idea in the 1600s is something we don't really think of when we think of this time of history. But that's who John was. One year later, in 1690, John died at the age of 85. His last words were, Welcome, Joy. His life and his story would influence Christian heroes like William Carey and David Brainard. To this day, on the 21st of May, the Episcopal Church has a feast day in memory of John Eliot. At the Beacon Free Library in Massachusetts is a monument in memory of John Eliot. And the school he helped start and donated his land to still stands today. It's called the John Eliot Elementary School. And the town Elliot in Maine is named after John Elliot. Today, there's only one copy of the Wapanoklik Bible, and it can be found at the Bible Museum in Washington, D.C. John Elliot is an example to all of us on how to live during times of injustice. His is a story that we should be teaching our children. When our children study the time period when injustice was done to the Native people, It's important that they see examples of what a man of God did during this time. Next week, we're going to be in the 1700s, and we're going to look at a Welsh man who wrote music we still sing in our churches today. You're not going to want to miss this. For more podcasts and some blogs and some videos, check out lauraleesiemens.com, and I'll see you next week.